The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to swoutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. Y'all doing good? Hey, how about that? Hey, uh, so yesterday we took a kind of a step out of, you know, we're rolling through the David story piece by piece, the anointing and David and Goliath. And then yesterday we kind of took a step out so we could focus on biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. And we told a couple stories from the kingship of David. Guys, you heard about David and Bathsheba and girls, you heard about David and Abigail. But I want to jump back in and kind of fill in the gaps on, okay, so we see David killing Goliath, and then later on we see him as king. But, y'all, there are some crazy stories that happen in between that time, in between killing Goliath and, so and, and him being king. So I want to go back this morning and just remember where he was at the end of the Goliath story, and I want to fill in those gaps because I think we can squeeze a lot of learning out of that time. So I want to tell like six or seven stories back to back to back kind of rapid fire and then make one big application at the end. So take yourself back. He's just killed Goliath. He grabbed G- Goliath's giant sword and whoosh, cut off Goliath's head. You remember he took the head with him. He took the armor with him. And I want to pick up the story right there. All right, so if you've got a Bible, let's go to 1 Samuel 18, 1 Samuel 18. Just remember what a huge deal it was for David to kill Goliath, because it wasn't just like, hey, he beat a really good fighter. It was like, oh my gosh, you just saved our entire nation from slavery, and so people are losing their minds. They're, they're loving this, and so uh, let's, let's pick it up, 1 Samuel 18. Basically, David's just killed Goliath, and he's going to turn into like this superstar overnight, starting in verse 5. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over all the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Y'all get that? Like David was just too young, too little to be in the army. And his brothers are making fun of him. And now, like, he's the general in charge of his brothers and every other man of war. So it's, it's a crazy promotion. And he's a superstar overnight. So you really got to set up to have an all-star team in Israel. You got three guys, right? You got Saul, who's the first ever king and the tallest man in the land. You got his son, Jonathan, who we haven't talked a lot about, but that man, he, Jonathan is the man. I mean, Jonathan is a brave soldier. He's fought so many battles. He's got a pure heart. Man, he, he is the man. He's kind of the champion. He's the next in line to be king. And then you got this new guy who the Lord's with him, and he is, I mean, just superstar status. He just saved the nation. So it's, it's heading up. It's looking like an all-star team, except we know from our study already that the Lord has left Saul. So there's a big problem, and there's also more problems when we start thinking, wait a minute, Saul, didn't, Saul was supposed to fight Goliath, and he didn't. So there's some cracks in this all-star team already. So let's pick it up after that. Verse 6, as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, so they're just coming from David killing Goliath, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, with musical instruments. This is like... 
the Super Bowl parade. You know, like when a team wins the Super Bowl, they go back to their hometown and everybody's like, yeah, you guys did it. But it's like that, but way ramped up because it's not just you won the war, it's you saved our lives. And so there, the women are coming out and they're dancing, they're singing. It's just Super Bowl parade and David is like superstar, right? Verse 7, and the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David ten thousands. Whoa. You see a problem with their song? Okay, first off, there's a big problem where who delivered Israel that day? I mean, God did. And David made that clear. But they're not giving the glory to God. They're giving glory to a man. So that's one problem. But for Saul, there's an even bigger problem, a different problem on this day. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Look at verse 8. And Saul was very angry. This saying displeased him. He said, they ascribed to David ten thousands? And to me, they've ascribed only thousands? What more can he have but the whole kingdom? Saul is mad, mad. And it's funny to think about. He's not mad because they didn't give God the glory. He's mad they didn't give him the glory. Which I think, hey man, they mentioned you. You didn't do nothing. They mentioned you, just be glad about it. But Saul is so mad. Look at where he jumps to. He says, they've ascribed to David ten thousands and to me only thousands. Look at where his mind goes. What more can he have but the kingdom? His mind immediately goes to, oh shoot. David's gunning for the throne. Everybody wants him to be the next king. Man, he's filling in the gaps with just jealousy. Verse 9, I think this is the key verse to this whole section. It says, and Saul eyed David from that day on. I mean, this is right after killing uh, Goliath. The crowd goes wild. Saul gets jealous and he eyed David from that day on. The song was the catalyst. And we'll see this jealous, like a burning rage starts in Saul. And this is where, y'all, he starts to go absolutely crazy. Verse 10. The next day, like the day after the parade, the next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. And he raved within his house while David was playing his lyre as he did day by day. And Saul had his spear in the hand. All right, picture the scene. It's setting up the scene for you. saying the very next day after the Super Bowl parade, after everybody's like, you saved us, David. You're great. It says basically David's playing his lyre in Saul's house. He goes back to his, his job. He's the commander of all the armies. But he's just being faithful, playing the lyre. And it says that Saul is raving within his house. He's just getting madder and madder. Have you ever done this? You ever been in a conversation with somebody and you're like replaying it over in your mind and you're getting madder and madder and madder and you're just like, and then I told her, I don't, you shut up, you know, and you're just like, oh, you, know, you start escalating this thing in your mind, in your room or in your car, you start playing it back. Well, Saul's doing that, but he's made a bad decision because he's sitting in his living room with a spear in his hand, right? And he's just getting, oh, David's killing 10,000, he's killing 10,000. It's like he's just playing this back and back and he's got the spear in the hand, so the situation's set up. And it says, verse 11, and Saul hurled the spear. Boom, he threw a spear like it's a murder attempt. He hurled the spear because he thought, I'm going to pin David to the wall. But David dodged him twice. Yeah, what the heck? This, if you've never heard this story before, it's crazy. Because you think, how could, this is like the president trying to kill his top general here. David, you think David's got no clue what's going on. It wasn't David singing that song. David's not gunning for the throne. We know he's been anointed. But last he knew, he was Saul's boy. Like everything is good. He's in charge of the army. 
and then boom, murder attempt. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Here's the key, verse 12. Saul was afraid of David. Isn't that interesting? He used to be afraid of Goliath. Now he's afraid of David. Why? Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. That's a, that's a pretty big key because there's something bigger going on. Yes, there's jealousy, but there's something bigger going on because the Spirit of God has left Saul and it absolutely freaks him out. He sees the Spirit of God is on David and is messing with his mind because we know at this point Samuel has told Saul, you will not be king forever. The kingship will be torn from you and it's destroying Saul and he's afraid of David because of that. So Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had left Saul. So look at this. So Saul removed David from his presence and made him commander of a thousand. He demoted him. He was in charge of all the men of war, thousands and thousands and thousands. And now he demotes him and says, you can have those little guys over there. That's it. But he took him out of his presence there. And it says, but David went out and came in before the people. Listen to verse 14. And David had success in all his undertakings because the Lord was with him. David's still being faithful and the Lord's blessing. Verse 15, when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all of Israel and all of Judah loved David because he went out and came in before him. Think about this. Man, Saul is afraid of David for two things that any king should be so excited about. In their general, in their main guy in the army, Saul should be so excited about these two things, but he's afraid because the Lord is with David and David is successful. Dude, if you're a king, that's what you want out of, out of your army leader. The Lord's with him and he's successful, but Saul chooses to see these blessings as a threat. Why? He's jealous. It's, it's jealousy, it's envy. He's jealous of what the Lord's doing in David's life. He's jealous of the attention from people. Have you ever been there? I mean, I have. Like, where you see somebody grow or exhibit a certain quality and and they get attention from people and you're like, like it bothers you. Why does that happen with believers? Why do we get jealous of other people? Because it's a real thing. Philippians 2, it says this, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more, more significant than yourself. Why would there be rivalry between two believers? Well, you think about why would there be rivalry between two high schools? Like this town's called Andrews, the next town over there is called Murphy, and there's rivalry. Why? They both want the same thing. They both want to be considered the best. They want, both want the winning record, right? They want to beat each other. It's the same thing with us. Like you both have the same goal. That's why there's rivalry. We, we want to be considered the best. We don't like it when other people get attention. And see, that's what I'm saying. Saul is jealous of David because he has what Saul values most, the approval and attention from people. That's a value problem. It's a, it's a real problem for a king. Now, this is where it starts. Where it goes is really dark. All right, I'm going to rapid fire some stories here to show you how dark things get with Saul because he's already tried to murder David in his house in kind of the heat of the moment. But what happens next is not heat of the moment. It's more like first degree murder. Like he's really going to start plotting. I'm going to kill this guy and I got to think of a good way to do it. And so he, what Saul does is he starts to weaponize his children to try to get them to kill David, which is crazy. All right, verse uh, 20 of 1 Samuel 18. Now Saul's daughter Michael loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Pause for a second. So Saul's daughter is in love with David, and people come and are like, 
you know, Michael, she's got a thing for David. Like, they might get together, and this thing pleased Saul, and you're tempted to think, oh, this is great. There's going to be a little love story here. But look at, look at why the thing pleased Saul. The thing pleased Saul because Saul thought, okay, let me give her to him so that she can be a trap for him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. He's going to use his daughter's love to try to kill David. It's really dark and dirty. It's, it's, it's an evil, evil plot. And basically the, what Saul does is he goes to David and says, hey, man, you want to marry my daughter? That's cool. That's cool. Well, you don't have money for the bride price? Okay. All I need you to do, I need you to go kill 100 Philistines for me. That'll be the bride price. Because he's thinking, man, David's going to get killed over there. But in a crazy twist because the Lord's with him, David comes back. He hadn't just killed 100 guys. He's killed 200 guys. And the crowd goes wild. And Saul gets madder and madder. And so Saul, in chapter 19, Saul talks to his son and to the servants. He gathers them around and is like, y'all got to kill David. We need to work together to kill David. He's telling Jonathan, his son. Now, we haven't talked about Jonathan much this week, and I encourage you. Man, the story of David is too big for us to hit every story, for real. It's so big. Man, you would benefit a lot from just studying through the life of David. But, man, when you think about Jonathan, Saul's son, He's a real unique figure because he and David are super close at this point. And in chapter 19, when Saul says, hey, you need to kill David for me, Jonathan sticks up for his friend to his dad, the king. He sticks up for him. He makes this big speech about David has brought you good. He risked his life to save your kingdom. Now pause and think about if anybody in the story should have been jealous is Jonathan. Jonathan is like the military leader. He's the one that kills the Philistines. He's got that title and prestige. He's also in line for the throne. He's supposed to be king next. And David stands to wreck all of that. He's going to get the title, the prestige. He might get the throne. Man, they have every reason in the world for rivalry, but they choose unity. It's beautiful. It's humble. So Jonathan gives this big speech to his dad and says, man, David's only brought you good. And here's the crazy thing, that Saul listens to him. And Saul says, Jonathan, you know what? You're right, man. As the Lord lives, I will not kill David. David will not be put to death. You're right. And we're all like, whew, deep breath. Except David goes out, kills some more Philistines. Saul, the crowd goes wild. Saul gets mad and tries to whoo, pin him to the wall with a spear again. Verse 6, he says, I'm not going to try to kill him again. I promise. Verse 10, murder. Like, it flips so quick. All right. So David escapes the house at that point. What I want you to think about, put yourself in David's shoes for just a minute. Think about if you're David, as a kid, you knelt down and the prophet anointed your head and said, you're going to be the next king. And you're like, how in the world is that going to happen? I'm from nowheresville. I am nobody. And then all of a sudden you go up to the line and Goliath's there and the Lord gives you the power and you fight against Goliath. And then you're promoted over all the armies and you're like, okay, okay. I see a path. I can see how the king thing's going to work. And then the murder attempts and you're like, what's going on? It's got to be like a like a roller coaster of emotions for David. And he's got to be thinking, how am I supposed to be king after this? The king's trying to kill me. And from 1 Samuel 18 to 1 Samuel 24, there are a billion different murder attempts. 
Saul tries to kill David in his house. Uh, Saul tries to kill David everywhere. And it just builds and builds and builds. And I want to tell you just a couple more stories. 1 Samuel 20, things build to the point where uh, basically Jonathan tries to stick up for David again and Saul is losing his mind. In 1 Samuel 20, starting in verse 30, you see Saul screaming at Jonathan. He's screaming at him. He's insulting his mom and he's saying, you chose David. You chose David. You'll never be king. And Jonathan stands up with one sentence and says, why should he be put to death? And Saul picks up his spear and hurls it at his own son and tries to kill his own son just for one sentence of sticking up with Dave, for David. Things are getting dark. And I'm going to tell you, they take an even darker turn after this. I mean, Saul's trying to murder his own son. Where did all this start? The song. The song. That's where the envy started. I'm going to tell you two more quick stories, and it gets real dark, all right? David runs. He realizes he's not safe in his own city, so he runs over to this other city, a city called Nob, where all the priests live. And he comes into the city. He's all by himself. He's got no supplies. And he comes to the priest, whose name is Ahimelech, and he says, man, can you help me out? And Ahimelech gives him food and prays for him, and David says, hey, I, I don't have a sword or a spear or anything. Do you have a weapon? It's really cool. Ahimelech says, I've got one sword. You've seen it before. And he goes back in the back, and he pulls out the giant sword of Goliath. That's the sword, like in the, in the video, that big yellow sword that you see in the video. That's the sword you see. And it's just this pause moment of, oh, yeah. This is, he's got the giant sword. But it's not just like the ultimate weapon. Why is David given that sword? I mean, I think it is God's grace. I think it's supposed to be a reminder to David, even in this tough time, that God is at work. Remember what I did. It's something that David can look at in his tent at night and think, God's able. God is for me. God is faithful. So David leaves this town with this giant sword on his back, and Saul comes in, and he murders that priest. And then he murders the whole priest's family. And then he murders every priest in the town, and then he murders all of their wives, and he murders all of their kids, and all of the infants in the town. It is dark. So do you know what David does at this point? I did not, when I was y'all's age, I did not know what he did. David's not safe in his own country even. So do you know where he goes? Who have they been at war with forever? The, yeah, the Philistines. He goes to the Philistines he goes to a city called Gath. Do you remember who's from Gath? Goliath is from Gath. So he comes into the city of Gath carrying Goliath's sword. And it's just like, you're doing what? It is desperate. But you think, at this point, David's got nowhere else to turn. Everybody's trying to kill him. Everybody who tries to help him gets killed. So he goes into Gath carrying the giant sword. It is a desperate situation where the most powerful warrior in all the land has no place to go so he goes into Gath and it's like everybody in the whole town goes like all everybody all spotlights go on him all focus on him and everybody's like the heck are you doing here and they go to the king of Gath whose name is Achish and they say this in chapter 21 verse 11 they say to Achish the king of Gath isn't this David the king of the land interesting they think of him as king isn't this David the king of the land didn't they sing to one another of David in dances? Saul's killed thousands and David is ten thousands? Crazy they know that song too. 
but you think the whole spotlight, everybody's looking at him, and they're like, oh my gosh, that's David. Look, he's got Goliath's sword, and the spotlight's on David, and he's standing there. It's a really funny story. Y'all know what David does? He goes, and starts acting absolutely insane. Says he starts like drooling all over his beard and ripping his clothes and like scratching on the doors of the gate. And so the king comes out and looks at him. He's like, they're like, look, this is the king of the land. And, and he's like, man, y'all, y'all crazy. That, that is a crazy man. I've seen a crazy man before. Y'all get the heck out of here. And David escapes. And it's like the Lord delivers David. But what a crazy story. Okay. Time out. At this point, my anxiety would be out the roof. I don't like it when people are mad at me. I don't like it when people misunderstand me. And everybody in the world, it seems, is trying to murder David. What do you do if you're David at this point? What are you thinking? You can't go anywhere. You're not safe anywhere. you got to be wondering, where's the kingdom? Is God going to keep that promise? You know what's funny is David never asked that. Not once. Saul is trying to grab at and keep the kingdom. David just trusts God. But you've got to think at this point, it would have been tempting for David to think, you know what? I was doing just fine with the sheep. I had no troubles out there. I was playing my guitar. Everything was great. And then the Spirit of God comes and anoints me king, and all I got is trouble. Man, no. David's time in the wilderness was helping to shape him into the leader God wanted him to be. The hard times were helping to shape David. And you can watch that process happen. Man, the Psalms, if you look at the book of Psalms, y'all know how it's got like these old subheadings up here that'll say a Psalm of Asaph or a Psalm of David when such and such happened. Man, you can, you can see a window into David's thoughts, into David's prayer during these times, during the crazy times. You know, he wrote two psalms when he was running to the Philistines, when he was about to act crazy with scratching the gates, there's a Psalm 34 that tells you what David's thinking during this time when my anxiety would have been out the roof. Psalm 34, he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He, Psalm 34, four through eight. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that takes refuge in him. That is beautiful. But pause and think for a minute. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Man, David's circumstance is not good right now. Blessed is the man that takes refuge. David's circumstance seemed like anything but blessing. He says, this poor man cried and God saved me out of all my troubles. He is in the middle of trouble. He wrote this when he's with the Philistines. Think about it. When he says, taste and see that the Lord is good, he's saying that in the middle of the squeeze, in the middle of the hard times, right? You think about the fact that he was closest to God in the most difficult times. When he says, taste and see that the Lord is good, man, the Lord being good won't always feel good. God's goodness doesn't mean comfort at all times. You know, even the fact that he says, he's my refuge, that implies the storm's still going on. I'm just safe in God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. There's another one, Psalm 56. This is written when the Philistines bring him before Achish. 
when he's about to scratch on the door, he says this to the Lord. You have kept account of my tossings, like my rolling over in bed. You've kept count of my tossings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know God is for me. That is beautiful. He's saying, when I can't sleep at night, you're counting my rolling over. When I'm crying, you write down every tear. You put them in your bottle. This I know that God is for me. It's beautiful. What, what are we supposed to learn out of this? I mean, David's not looking to the right or to the left. He's looking to God. He is confident in God when the whole world is falling apart. He's consistent and seeking the Lord in the most inconsistent environment possible. Y'all, I think there's a major lesson that we need to stop and learn from David. If there's one takeaway from this time, man, <clears throat> some of y'all live in constant turmoil. Some of y'all have drama at home. There's a big deal, constant turmoil. Some of y'all have drama at school that is a big deal. It's just constant pressure, constant drama, constant temptation. Man, if you can be consistent and seek the Lord, you'll rise above the drama. I'm going to tell you, there may be tears, but you need to know God writes them in his book. He puts them in his bottle. You may be tossing in your bed. He sees you. He hears you, and you can take refuge in the Lord. Taste and see that he's good. I think most of us spend so much time looking around at the temptations and the turmoil around us. And we need to look to Jesus and let those hard times shape us into the man or woman that he wants us to be. It doesn't mean you won't have hard times, that there won't be struggles, that there won't be times where you're afraid. David was legitimately afraid in these situations. Psalm 56, 3 through 4, we'll have it on the board. It says, when I'm afraid... It really happens. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Isn't that a funny verse? When I'm afraid, I won't be afraid. What's the antidote? What's the solution to fear there? When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you and I praise you. Here's the thing. It was probably easy for David to trust God right after Goliath. Right after he chopped off his head, he's got his head, he, the crowd's going wild, the parade's going, he's getting a promotion. That was probably pretty easy to be like, yeah, God's going to keep his promises. But now, when it doesn't seem like he's going to be king, when everybody wants to kill him, I mean, if David can trust the Lord in this circumstance, so can you. If David can look to God and be consistent in this circumstance, we can too. He's consistent and obedient when the whole world is going crazy around him. Man, that is the least exciting sermon application I can give, but it's so, so important. If you guys will just wake up early and walk with Jesus, if you'll just look to Jesus, man, he'll be your refuge when those hard times come. When the storm is really raging and there's real pressure around you, man, you'll just, when you're afraid, I put my trust in you and I'm not afraid. If we just look to Jesus, we'll know, we'll experience, my God is for me. When I'm tossing in my bed, when I'm crying at night, this I know that my God is for me. Last thing, man, it's so cool that God left David some reminders. He left him Jonathan's friendship. And then he left him Goliath's sword. These things were his grace. They were a reminder. Man, 
you guys have the same sort of things. Some of y'all are in real, real pressure situations. We've talked to y'all this week. Some of y'all are facing terrible situations at home. Man, God is for you. You have his word as a reminder. Just like David had Goliath's sword. You have his word. You have his people. For real, you have this week. It's no accident that you're here, that you're hearing a word that you can hold on to today. Man, take courage. David looked at Goliath's sword and knew God is for me. Let this week be that for you. God is able. You be faithful. Look to Jesus. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.